Thank you for listening to this podcast from Monclova Road Baptist Church. For more information about this message and the ministries of Monclova Road Baptist Church, please visit monclovabaptist.org. All right, we're going to we're going to begin uh, or, or end, I guess, our study on Armageddon today. We have been studying now. We still have several more, a uh, few more weeks left through the end of September. If all goes as planned, we'll be studying the end time prophecy. I didn't really plan for it to go uh, into September. I thought we would be done by July, but several of the weeks, um, it was just difficult to get all of it into one week, and it took us just like this uh, the, as we study through the second coming of Christ. It's going to take us this third week here today to really finish our study of the second coming of Christ. There's so many things that are happening around this world, so many events that are taking place. How many of you have, you watch the news this morning. I always tell myself, I'm not going to watch it on a Sunday morning, and I end up doing it anyways. While we were sleeping, it seems maybe that um, uh, North Korea uh, set off a hydrogen bomb. This hydrogen bomb, they say, is eight times more powerful than than, um, uh, the atomic bomb that we dropped on Japan. Eight times more powerful. They say this bomb could annihilate a modern-day city. Annihilate. And, um, boy, we live in a scary world, don't we? We live in a scary, scary world. Things are unfolding all around us. Things are speeding up. I truly believe if we see the events happening all around us, things are speeding up all around us for the return of Christ. The events that are happening, they're pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ He's coming again. And for those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, it ought not be a a fearful time for us because we know he's coming again. But it ought to motivate us because there's a world that's going to sit in judgment when he comes again. And so I hope and my prayer is that we finish up this series this morning on uh, uh, the portion on Armageddon as we look at the advancement of the heavenly army the advancement of the heavenly army. During the eight years former President Reagan served in the White House, he kept a daily diary. And I love listening and, and, and reading of former presidents. And we found this in May 15th, 1981 entry. The president, he expressed his frustration and um, uh, just tension between tiny Israel and the surrounding Arab nations. And he recorded this. He said, sometimes I wonder if we are destined to witness Armageddon. This is back in 1981, he, he writes this. And I'll tell you, considerable changes have taken place in the decades since that time that he wrote that. But the desire for Israel to be demolished, it still thrives today. And maybe even greater than it did then. Because it seems like there's nations around this world, their goal is the demise of Israel. Their goal is just to, to, to destroy and wipe Israel off of this map. And with all the peace initiatives and all the treaties and all the summits, there's still seething hatred toward Israel. There's still hatred toward God's chosen people, toward this small nation of Israel. And we find in our study here in the book of Revelation, we're going to be in several different books today and several different chapters today, but we find this, we come to this place in our study, the advancement of the heavenly army. 
The Antichrist is going to gather all of the nation's armies of this world together. We're going to see some specifics in what the Bible says about that. And the Antichrist is going to gather all of the nations, the armies of this world together at a place called Armageddon. And the purpose of that is to annihilate or destroy Israel. And for the final time, he believes, destroy God himself. We're going to explore this morning what John writes as the prelude to the attack. So before this attack happens, we find that John, the, John, the author of the book of Revelation, in John 19, verse number 17, he writes this. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God. And so we find that John says that he sees an angel gathering all the fowl or the birds together saying this, there's going to be a great feast that's going to take place. He's inviting the, the birds to come in the air because the death that's going to happen, the amount of bodies that are going to be killed here at this battle of Armageddon, the fowls of the air are going to come and feast off of these bodies, the Bible says. In verse number 18, he goes on to write this, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, eat the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them in the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. He says, I, wrote, I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the invitation extended to the birds of prey will sound as God declares of the the coming carnage of this battle. God is saying here in these verses that there is going to be great carnage. There's going to be great death. The fowls of the air are going to come and feast off of the bodies that are killed here at this battle of Armageddon. This final battle between Jesus Christ when he comes again and the Antichrist and the false prophet. We find here that God is going to declare that this battle is going to take place. He's declaring there's going to be great death and great carnage here at this battle. God is beckoning all of the fowls to prepare for this feast as the armies of this world are destroyed. And God even is going to dry up the mighty Euphrates to make a way for these armies from the east to come over to make to, to this battle. The Bible says in Revelation 16, 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was, was dried up that the way the kings of the east might be prepared. And so we find that these two events are going to happen, this prelude to this attack. We find that God is going to summon all the birds of the, of the air to come because a great feast is going to happen uh, from these bodies that are destroyed, killed here at this battle. We find this as well, that an angel is going to uh, stop the great river Euphrates. And if you were to find that source, you would find where the conflict right now is taking place in Syria with ISIS and all of the, the nations right now that are there. The great Euphrates River is going to be blocked up so that the nations of the east can come right across uh, uh, Iraq and, and from Iran and in China. And all these armies are going to be able to come Come through this land, prepare. So all the nations, all the mighty nations of the earth. It's said today that China has one of, if not the largest army on the earth. I mean, literally, millions of people are going to come to this place and in, in, in fight at this battle of Armageddon to ensure 
this, this massive military strength, the devil, uh, uh, Satan, the Antichrist, they're going to send this false, uh, uh, and the false prophet's going to send demonic messengers, the Bible tells us, to, to convince the leaders of the world to send their armies to join this battle. We find this in Revelation 16, 13, and 14. We find that John said this, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so we find the prelude. We find God is going to draw the, 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 the fowls of the air. He's going to dry up the, the river, the great river Euphrates, so that the armies of the east can gather. There's going to be a great call, a demonic call from the false prophet, from the Antichrist, to, to all the leaders, all the kings of the world, to bring their armies to this battle. And so we find there's going to be a great buildup to this battle. It's interesting to me today as I see the events happening around this world, there is already a great buildup of armies in this, in this location. We've studied, now it's been several weeks that we've studied where Ezekiel writes that, that, that God is going to put a hook in the jaw of Gog and Magog and, and pull them into this battle. And we find right now all the nations of this world are coming to this place in the Middle East. Nations are gathered. And so we find that this, this prophecy so easily can come true. At one time, you might say it'd be impossible for all the nations to come together, but we find it's possible today, and we find it happening right before our eyes. Where does this great battle take place? And the Bible gives us great information, very detailed information. The Bible says this in Revelation 16, 16, answers this question, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the Hebrew for Armageddon or Armageddon, it literally means this, Mount of Slaughter. It's, the, it's at the plains of Megado in, in Israel that all the armies of every nation are going to gather in hatred, in hatred toward God. And it's, it, it, it's at this place they're going to stage a, an attack against Christ himself. And it's at this time that Christ is going to appear, the faithful and true judge, and Christ is going to win this war of the battle of Armageddon when all the nations come together. And I find it interesting that this place that they meet is called the Mount of Slaughter. This is the place that God is going to slaughter all those that have rejected him. He's going to slaughter the, all those that have blasphemed his name. And as the Antichrist brings all of the armies of the world together to this place, every king. He puts it in their heart through demonic uh, uh, influence to bring their armies to battle against Israel and battle against God. The Antichrist believes this, that it's going to be his time of slaughter against Israel and against God. He believes that he's going to take all of the weapons of this world and he's going to destroy the God of heavens. He believes he's going to finally destroy Israel. And it doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter if he were to take a bomb like it was a uh, uh, 
uh, detonated this morning that was eight times more powerful than the atomic bomb that we detonated in World War II, no matter what, what, what weapon the Antichrist has, there is no weapon that he has that is going to give him great strength and might against our God. The great slaughter that's going to take place at this battle of Armageddon is going to be Jesus Christ slaughtering the Antichrist and the false prophet and all those that have gone against him during the time of the tribulation. So here we find, it's ironic, I believe, that we find that this battle is on the place called the Mount of Slaughter. And I want to take note, if, if you would allow me this morning, let's take note of the powerful advance. Because several stages will unfold as Christ makes his advance on the scene of this battle. As Christ comes back in this earth, the Bible gives us some things that are going to unfold just before his coming, the Bible tells us of an earthquake that's going to, 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 to come and it's going to be greater than any earthquake this world has ever, ever witnessed. There's going to be a mighty earthquake in Revelation 6.12. The Bible says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And this earthquake that's going to come, the Bible says it's going to be greater than any earthquake we've ever seen before. There's going to be a, uh, the earthquake is going to be so great that the sun is going to turn black. The moon is uh, going to become as blood. This earthquake is going to be of a magnitude that no one in this world world has ever seen before. But we have seen and we have witnessed, even in our lifetime, some devastating earthquakes. I remember as a child watching the World Series era, uh, in, in, on TV in San Francisco, and I believe it was San Francisco, there was an earthquake that happened dur right during that World Series. How many of you remember that? And boy, no one knew what happened. And, and then they began to look at bridges that had collapsed and, and, and the devastation. I remember just a few years ago, the earthquake that happened that caused a great tsunami to hit the coast there in Asia. And those waves that just came crashing in, just destroying, destroying life and destroying land and just wiping away what once was there is no longer there. Great earthquakes have been recorded all through human history, but there is no earthquake that is going to happen like this earthquake that's going to signal the fact that Jesus Christ is coming and he's coming in judgment. The Bible also tells us of a great hailstorm that's going to send, that's going to come from the sky. The Bible says in Revelation 16, 21, and there fell upon the men great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. In the New Testament, you would find that a talent could, could weigh as much of a, as a hundred pounds. Could you imagine a hundred pound hailstone falling out of the sky? When I was pastoring in Georgia, we had a hailstorm uh, there not long after I got there. And we had these aluminum ceilings that, that, that hooked the buildings together so that you could walk from building to building. We had five separate buildings, and you could go from building to building uh, without getting wet or, um, you know, down south without getting scorched by the sun, you know, whatever the weather was like that day. And a hailstorm came, and after that hailstorm, I remember I'm walking underneath of these awnings, and I looked up and I said to one of the men, what are all of these marks? I mean, it was like somebody just dropped marbles and put dents in. And they said, it's from the hail. And as I thought about the damage, it was about $60,000 worth of damage that the hail caused on all of those aluminum uh, uh, awnings. I thought, what this hail, could you imagine? Could you, I mean, these would be the size of like small kids that you're dropping, you know, from, from the heavens. A hundred pound hail falling on people. 
Just everything it hit, it would just devastate. The, the, uh, the, 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 the hail that would come. He says a great hail fell from the heavens. Every stone about the weight of a talent. The men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. There's going to be great judgment that's coming when Jesus Christ returned. Many believe that this hailstone will directly follow the parting of the heavens. And man will see the throne of God and Christ descending or preparing to descend with his army of saints. And the entire world will be struck with fear at his coming. There's going to be a time where the world is gathering together to defeat Israel, to defeat God, and they're bringing all their weapons of the world. They're bringing atomic weapons. They're bringing the hydrogen bombs. They're bringing every single bomb, every single man-made weapon that they believe is going to destroy Israel, destroy God once and for all, and they're coming with great power. They're coming with the thought of winning this victory, but my friend, this earthquake is going to hit the earth, and it's going to cause them not to turn to God. They're going to continue to blaspheme God. God is going to send hail upon the earth. Could you imagine the size of this hail? The damage that's going to come. And instead of them turning, they still blaspheme the name of God. But then, and only then, they look up and they'll see the heavens begin to open. They'll see the throne of God. They'll see Jesus Christ descending and all the saints with him behind them. And at that time, they come. They come with great might. They come with the thought of winning this war with the great victory, but what they will be is struck with fear when they see Jesus Christ coming. All the armies of the world are going to gather for war against Christ. What they're going to discover is this. They've gathered for judgment. They think they're going to come against Christ for victory, and what they're going to find is they're coming for destruction. Zechariah 14, 2 and 3, the Bible says this, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and the half of the city shall go forth unto captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Oh, listen to me. You begin to read just the first portion of that verse, and it seems like it's too late. It seems like disaster is there. It seems like Israel has no hope. Today, it seems like that as Christians as well. We turn the news on and we see crime, we see violence, we see murder, we see racism, we see hatred one for another. It seems like all we watch in the news anymore is what one person is doing to another person to harm them. It just seems like it's vile. It seems like it's disgusting. It seems like we watch the, the news and we teach our children words that they should never have to hear just by watching what's on the news. I remember we were watching the news one night and they were talking about uh, uh, crime against other people, sexual crime. And I remember one of my girls asking, Dad, what does that mean? It's a shame you go to watch the news and it's not that you're hearing of good things. It's not that you're hearing of positive things. I turn the news on this morning and all I'm watching is devastation that's happening there in, 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 in uh, uh, Houston and I'm listening for the storm Irma that's coming that could potentially hit the Atlantic uh, coast. And, and then, and then you hear of this bomb that was, that was, uh, uh, detonated this morning in, in North Korea and the magnitude of an earthquake that it caused a 6.4. That was a large bomb and the, the the fear and the fear of war and the fear of battle and the fear of loss of lives and, 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 and just watching the news cause you to be in fear and then you hear of people dying, you hear of sickness, you hear of disease and you wonder, is there any hope? 
That's where Zechariah leads us here. The houses are rifled. The women are ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity. It's almost as a prophet is saying, is there hope? He comes to the place, though I like when he gets to the place where he wonder, is there no hope? He comes to these words, and these words ought to challenge us. These words ought to excite us. He says this, then shall the Lord go forth. What are you saying? He's saying this, there is hope. It might seem like the world that we're living in is hopeless. It might seem like evil has won. It might seem like those that are righteous, they have no choice. It might seem like all around us is going, going the way of hell and going Going the way of evil, but then he writes this, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fought in the day of battle, what he is saying is this, there is hope because Jesus Christ is coming again. Israel right now, all the nations are pointing their weapons against Israel. I want Israel to know there is hope. The reason there's hope because Jesus Christ, he is coming again. Maybe you're battling something today, battling sickness, battling cancer, battling something going on in your life. I want you to know this there is hope even when it seems hopeless the reason why there's hope is because jesus christ he's coming again then shall the lord go forth we find next in the timeline of events the allocation of the judgment revelation 19 20 and 21 the bible reads this and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. Oh, I like this part of the verse. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Aren't you so glad the devil loses? Aren't you so glad that evil, evil gets her judgment? I think one of the greatest verses is written right here. They were both cast in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with the flesh. What we find John writing in Revelation, he says this, there is hope. He says that when Jesus Christ comes again, that he is going to come and he is going to destroy the Antichrist. He is going to take Satan. He's going to take the Antichrist. He's going to take this beast. He's going to cast them in to the lake of fire burning with brimstone. There is going to be victory against evil when Jesus Christ comes again. When Christ returns, judgment day will finally arrive. The Bible says in Revelation eleven eighteen, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, and they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and unto the saints, and unto them that fear thy name shall be small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. We know this, that when Christ returns, he's coming this time in judgment. Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah, he suggests this, a threefold purpose for which Christ will mete out judgment at his appearing. And he gives us three things. And the first one that he believes is this, to finish his judgment upon Israel. Joel 3, 7 through 9 says, Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them and return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the children of Judah. And they shall sell them to the Sabians and to the people far off, for the Lord hath spoken it. 
Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, make up mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. He says, secondly, to finalize his judgment upon the nations that have persecuted Israel. Listen to me, the nations that are persecuting Israel, the nations that are standing against Israel, the nations that are causing Israel uh, fear and causing Israel, uh, uh, hating Israel and causing uh, affliction to come and causing death to come to those through, through uh, 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 military force. There is going to come a time that when Jesus comes again, he is going to judge those nations that stand and persecute Israel. He says this, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and plead with them there uh, for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. You know, it may seem like nations of this world are getting away with persecuting Israel, but judgment day is coming. God gave his covenant to, to Abraham. He said, those that bless you, I'll bless, and those that curse you, I'll curse. And it may seem, it may seem like nations are getting away. It might seem like as today we see what's happening with Israel, we might wonder why God is allowing Israel to go through what Israel is going through. We might not understand why this is happening, but I want you to know, my, my, my friend Christian, that Jesus Christ is coming again, and those that have persecuted Israel, they won't get away with persecuting Israel. Those that have caused Israel to hurt, those that have murdered those in Israel, those that have brought armies against Israel. There is a judgment day that's coming. God's word is still true. His promises are still correct. And God is going to bring judgment to those who have stood against Israel. Thirdly is to formally judge all the nations that have rejected him. Jesus is coming again and he's not only going to judge those that have stood against Israel, he's also going to judge those that have rejected Jesus Christ. And all the men were scorched with great heat, blaspheming the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. When I was first married, we went to a vacation in Colonial Williamsburg, and my wife had the whole week planned for us, and the first day of the vacation, we were going to go to the pool and, and just read books and just enjoy the sun. Well, you could see by my lack of bronzing here, I don't, um, I don't do well in the sun. I go from white to purple to peel. And in between all of those phases is pain. Well, I went and I fell asleep in the sun. And that ruined the entire vacation. I went to bed that night and I was really, really sore. And I woke up that next day and I was blistered. Blistered. How many of you have ever been blistered from the sun? Good, so you know my pain. I laid there for the next several days just begging, just do something. Kill me. Do something. This is awful. Nothing could help. No amount of cream. When they put the cream on it, just it just burned. I, 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 they put water on me to cool me down. It just burned. Everything was torture. If you've been burned, you understand. Here we find this, that there's going to be a great judgment against those nations that have rejected Christ. 
those nations that thought that there was another way besides Jesus Christ, those nations that said, no, you can't pray in Jesus' name, no, you can't witness the name of Jesus Christ, those that have persecuted believers for preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, those nations, the Bible says, are going to be judged in this final judgment. Men were scorched with great heat, blasphemed the name of God, which had the power over these plagues. They repented not to give him glory. You know what is so ironic? Here we find that all through these plagues and all through these judgments, they're still blaspheming the name of God. They're still turning their hearts, hardening it against God. The judgment Christ meets out will accomplish all of these. The purpose of complete justice. Tim LaHaye wrote this, when Christ consumes all before him through the earthquakes, through lightning, through the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. Not only will the holy land be destroyed, but the entire country will be literally bathed in the blood of the God-hating, Christ-opposing men. Could you imagine that destruction? That's what this battle of Armageddon is going to look like. All the armies of this world are going to come against God. Jesus Christ is going to appear. And their weapons are going to be faced toward God in and, and thinking that as they begin to, to fire their weapons that they can destroy God. And Jesus Christ with his simple word is going to destroy. I want to see this as well this morning. I want to find the fate of the Antichrist. The fate of the Antichrist. We find what will be, the Bible tells us, what will be the fate. The Antichrist will be the one that spearheaded the rejection of Christ throughout all the tribulation. He's going to be the one that finally is going to receive his judgment. This verse describes the crafty deception for which the Antichrist is going to be judged. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan will all power and signs and lying wonders. We find that the Antichrist, when he comes, he is going to begin to lie. He's going to say that I want to make peace, but that peace is only there so that he can gain power. Every decision the Antichrist, make, the Antichrist makes is not for peace and is not for unity around this world. It's going to be so that he can set up his kingdom. It's going to be so that he can sit in the temple. What's interesting right now, if you were to do a study of the temple for years and for, for, for as long as I can remember, there is great controversy because the Dome of the Rock sits there upon the Temple Mount. And many have said this, how can the temple be built where the Dome of the Rock is supposed to, is currently at? And if they were to tear that building down, the great war that would take place between the Muslims and the Arab world and the Jews, and, and there's no way that could ever happen. The Arabs have said this, if they try to put a shovel in this ground, a great war would take place. There's great research happening right now where they believe that the, the site of the temple is not where they believe for so many years it's been. There's a different location. And there's great, the great uh, uh, belief. They've gone back to Bible records and found an account of the location where the temple could possibly be. Listen to me, I'm telling my friend, the, we hear and we read, well, the temple doesn't exist. It is in the place right now where the temple, if they had the right location, it could be built, begin overnight. There's a lot of those, those in, in Israel right now where the, the uh, uh, um, 
furniture for the temple is, is already made. They're just waiting for this temple to be built. They're waiting to come to the place where they can begin sacrificing this temple again. And the Antichrist is going to promote that. The Antichrist is going to allow that. The Antichrist is going to, uh, uh, for the sake of peace, encourage that. But then he's going to come and in three and a half years sit in that temple and he's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to declare himself to be worshipped. He's going to set up an image. He's going to require all mankind to take the image of the mark of the beast and worship this image. He's going to sit in the temple and declare himself to be like God. Listen to me, that is the job, the Antichrist, or the, the Satan from the beginning of time. He has desired what God, what belongs to God. In heaven, he wanted all the worship of the heavenly bodies of the angels. And there was a great battle that took place in heaven. And a third of the angels were cast out of heaven along with Satan. And since that time, Satan has sought to deceive. Satan has sought to lie. Satan has sought to do anything he can to become like God. In the, battle, in the, uh, the, the Garden of Eden, his whole purpose of approaching Eve with that eating that fruit was to discourage anything that God was trying to do. And since that time, Satan has lied. Satan has, has, has deceived. Listen to me this morning. Satan is after everything that is godly. He'll lie. He'll cheat. He'll deceive. He'll get you to believe something that's not true, but he's so good, he'll cause it to look like truth. Satan's after your marriage. Satan's after your home. Satan's after your church. Satan's after anything that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. He's been this way for, for since he's been cast out of heaven. We find here that he's going to set up this false kingdom. He's going to set up this, this false security. He's going to set up this false peace, hoping, hoping that he can, through the Antichrist, rule this world. But I want you to know it's only, it's only for a time. Together with the false prophet, the Antichrist will deceive. He'll dupe the world into worshiping him. This delusion will not last. This delusion is only going to be for a time when his followers see, when they see Jesus in the clouds, when they see him coming again, when they see him cast into the lake of fire, they'll know who the one in true God is. The Bible says in Revelation 19.20, and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he was deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake burning with brimstone. You know, many today, they reject the literal lake of fire. Scripture describes hell. The scripture describes the lake of fire. You know, some churches today stop proclaiming that hell is real. Can you believe that there are some that claim to be Christian churches that claim to, read, to teach the Bible and te preach the Bible? There are many that claim that hell is not real. I wonder what does a church, what does a church do if they don't believe that hell is real? There's an article published in U.S. News and World Report. Seventy percent. This should say seventy percent of American. Um, believe in heaven, not American babies, but 78% of Americans believe in heaven. 60% believe in hell, but only 4% think they'll go to hell. 
and ask what caused you to think that you won't go there. It wasn't because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. For many, it's because I'm a good person. For many, it's because I do good things. For many, it's because I am a religious person. For many, it's because I just don't believe that God would send a person to hell. But my friend, I want you to know this it's not God's desire. It's not God's wish. It's not what he wants to happen to send a human being to hell. But he has given human beings every opportunity to trust his son. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. A person that spends eternity in hell. It's not because God is not a loving God. It's not because God did not care. It's not because God was just seeking to punish them. It's because God gave them every chance and they rejected Jesus Christ. There's an article that I, I read that went along with this U.S. News and World Report. It was an article of a Reverend Mary Krause. She explained uh, people don't like to hear about hell. The first problem was when I saw this article is there shouldn't be a Reverend Mary Krause. That's the first thing that went against the Bible. The second thing was what she wrote. She wrote this, my congregation would be stunned to hear a sermon on hell. Well, then her congregation should go to a Bible-believing church that preaches and teaches the truth. She says, with great pride, my congregation would be stunned to hear a sermon on hell. Her parishioners, she says, are upper middle class, well-educated, critical thinkers who view God as compassionate and loving, not someone who's going to push them into eternal damnation. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Mary Krause, what you're teaching and what you're preaching is false. And what you're teaching and preaching is going to send people to hell. Listen to me, I don't know what a church would preach if a church didn't preach salvation through Jesus Christ and damnation to those who do not trust Jesus Christ. Listen to me, the Bible preaches that there is a hell and there is a heaven and a person can get to heaven if they go through the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've said it every week and I'll say it every week uh, uh, again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to heaven. God has supplied a way to heaven. But if a person rejects Jesus Christ, they are going to pay for their sin for all of eternity and they're not going to pay for their sin by simply being in the ground and living eternity by just and, and dead in the ground. They will live eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. The Bible calls a lake of fire in brimstone. It's a place where the worm dieth not. It's a place for all eternity that soul will burn forever and ever and ever in heaven. Ever. Listen to me, we don't preach hell because we hate people. We preach hell because we love people. You can say amen right there preach hell because we're mad at people. We preach hell to warn people. I was a youth pastor in Pennsylvania. And in 2003, the Lord was moving us to Ohio, the Cincinnati area. And our youth group wanted to do a final youth activity that they were wanting us to do for four years. And I wasn't, wasn't about to do it. And it was tubing. They wanted us to tube in the Delaware. Well, I grew up singing the song about you know, floating down the Delaware. I wasn't going to tube down the Delaware, you know. I knew what happened. Polar bears come and eat you, you know. So I finally said this, all right, I'll take you. One final activity. I'll take you tubing. Honestly, I thought I was going to die. They put me in this tube and I didn't move. I stayed as, I just stayed as still as I could. And I noticed I was floating. And the current, it just seemed like the longer through the day we went, the stronger the current got. There were signs as we started going 
toward the end of the day, there were signs off to the, off to the, off to the sides that would say, um, start paddling toward the side. Warning. Danger. And I said to one of the kids I was with, what's the sign about? They said, oh, people die. If you go, if you go, over, the, if you go over the falls, you die. They pick up your body downstream somewhere. I said, tell me this again. Yeah, if you don't get out, you die. And I said, um, is this true? One of the adults that were with us said, oh, yeah, this is true. They said, what happened is this. People had been in this, in this river before, and they go over the falls, and they end up dying. So what would happen is this. Family members of those that have died would come back and begin to put signs uh, out on the banks and saying, warning, get out before it's too late. Falls are ahead. Warning, get out before it's too late. The falls are ahead. And, and it got to the place where the current kept speeding up and, and you'd see more and more signs, warning, get out, falls up ahead. And we started paddling over from the middle over toward the end and we began to get out and began to hear the stories of people that have, that have, that have refused to listen to the signs or maybe even before the signs were there, they didn't know that destruction was up ahead and they began to get out. And, you know, I would, I, would, I would argue with anyone that said that anyone that put those signs there were being mean to people that were tubing. No, they were warning them that death was up ahead. They were warning them to make a decision. If you stay where you're at, you're going to die. You've got to make a decision. You've got to paddle as hard as you can. You've got to get to that side to get out because if not, death is just over those falls. And I think about those signs, those signs that were put there by people that have lost someone, that have lost someone to death. They've gone over those, those, those falls. And I think of that, that rich man in, in Luke chapter 16 that he's got that sign saying, please don't send my brother near. Oh, someone, someone go tell my brethren that this is not the place for them to come. What kind of church would we be if we didn't preach the whole counsel of God? Oh, listen to me. God is a God of love and God is a God of comfort and God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. And when you're suffering with cancer, he'll be there by your side. And when you're going through horrible things in your family, God will be there by your side and he'll supply all your needs. And yes, the Bible's full of all the graciousness of God and all the love of God. But I want you to know this. The Bible also says a person that rejects Jesus Christ is going to have the judgment of God upon them. A person that rejects Jesus Christ is not going to go to a place of purgatory, is not going to go to a place where someone can pray them out. A person that dies without Jesus Christ is going to die and spend eternity in hell. Church, I don't know how knowing that truth we can be silent. I don't know how knowing that truth that we could preach any other gospel. I don't know after knowing what the word of God says how we could take that out of the Bible. They say, don't preach about hell because you can't build a crowd. Listen to me, I'd rather just preach to a few that got a burden to tell others about Jesus than to preach crowd of people that refuse to tell the truth to a lost and dying world. Listen, we don't exist to build buildings. We don't exist to build our kingdom. We don't exist to build a bigger and greater. We exist to preach the gospel to a world that needs Jesus. We exist to tell the world that if they don't get out, if they don't trust Jesus, there's hell. Undoubtedly, the denial of hell that is taking place across our land today It's a result of Satan's deception. Churches refusing to preach on hell. Churches refusing to preach on sin. 
Listen to me, if you're a teenager here in this church, when my voice is silenced and us that are older are dead and gone, I pray that you keep this church going by preaching the whole counsel of the word of God. I pray you not compromise on sin. I pray you not compromise on the gospel message. I pray that you'll have a man stand in this pulpit preaching that Jesus Christ is the way, but to reject Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. Someone that's warning, someone that's standing there with a sign saying to a lost and dying world, get out before it's too late. We find this, the fate of the Antichrist. The Antichrist army has rejected truth they're likewise going to receive judgment. Re- Revelation 19.21 says this, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. You know what Revelation 19.21 says? The Bible is true. What this verse is saying right here, what was prophesied, has come to pass. The fowls that were gathered to eat of the flesh, they came and they ate of the flesh. The earthquake that was predicted, it came. The hail that was set, it came. The remnant were slain. Oh, listen to me. You may look and say, I wonder, I wonder if there's hope. You know what this verse is saying to you? There's hope in Jesus Christ. This verse is saying that what Jesus said is true. The word, the sword proceeding out of his mouth is true. Jesus Christ is coming again in death and hell. is going to be cast into the lake of fire. The Antichrist and the, the serpent and Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus Christ is going to get victory. All those that blaspheme the name of God, you may do it for a time, but I want you to know judgment's coming. Although that choose sin over Christ, I want you to know you might enjoy it for a season, but judgment is coming. All those that think that there's a way to heaven besides Jesus Christ, all those that are doing good works thinking that is sufficient, you're going to find that that is not sufficient, that judgment is coming. All those that believe that religion is going to get you to heaven, you're going to find that you might have been sincere, but you were sincerely wrong. Jesus Christ is the only way. Oh, the Antichrist and the false prophet who believes that they're going to gather all the armies of this world, every, every weapon that's made by man, they're going to gather in the battle of Armageddon and they're going to believe that they're going to stand against Israel and stand against God. Revelation 19, 21, it assures you this, that you can stand against God, but you can never win. You can stand against Christ, but you can never win. There's coming a day that this heavens will unfold. There's coming a day that Jesus Christ is coming again on the white horse and all the saints with him and there's coming a day that destruction and judgment is coming and all those that do not know Jesus Christ will spend eternity 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 in hell eternity is forever If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, why would you wait any longer? And all my friend, listen to me. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, why would you not tell? Why would you hold it in? What is so important 
that telling someone else about Jesus is too much. Jesus is coming. The Antichrist is going to set up his kingdom. Three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, he's going to turn against Israel. After that three and a half years, all the armies of the earth are going to gather together, and Jesus is coming again. My question would be this, do you know him? 